Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Prolific writer and, um, and speaker, um, the, the uh, chaplain at Duke University, Will Williman, once said, the book of Proverbs, if you read through the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, it's kind of like going on a road trip with your mother. Don't drink too much. Don't go out with women like them. Don't be lazy. Don't, 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 don't. And it's, it's kind of true. The book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 7 feels very similar. Because as you begin to read it, what you hear is this, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. Let me read you just a few of them. Chapter 7. I'm going to start in, uh, let me start in verse 11. Chapter 7, verse 11. Wisdom, wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing, and it benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Verse 13. Consider what God has done, who can straighten what he has made crooked. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. Verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. So, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. The wisest man we know has this to offer to you this morning. In every situation, there's two good answers. I mean, you should pay attention to what's going on around you, but you shouldn't pay too close of attention on what's going on around you. I mean, you should listen to people when they talk to you, but don't over-listen to people. Or you're going to hear somebody talk bad about you, and you don't want that. Don't go Facebook stalking somebody. I mean, it's good if you're trying to know their name to get to know them, but don't Facebook stalk them. You might find out something bad about yourself, you know? And Solomon just goes down this list. You should be a good guy. In all that you do, be a good person. But listen, don't be so good everybody around you is looking at you like, oh, look at this guy. Solomon, the wisest man ever, is looking and saying, here's what I've done. I have bent my mind around the idea that I want to be wise, and here's what I've come up with. Uh... kind of goes, I don't know. Life is hard. It's hard to predict. You really can't know a whole lot about the future. It's kind of funny because I think Solomon's got some questions rolling around inside of his head. He goes on. This is what he says. Wisdom makes, this is verse 19, wisdom makes one wise. Uh, wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Verse 20, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. 
Do not pay attention to every word that people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Verse 22, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Verse 23, this is where he starts in. All this that I've just read has been tested by wisdom, and I said I am determined to be wise, but it was beyond me. Whatever wisdom may be, it is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? Then the confession comes. The confession. I've been paying attention. I've been trying hard. You know what this is like. Somebody says, are you really giving God your all? Well, no. But I go to church and uh, read my Bible and, you know, I try not to swear a lot outside my home, you know. I'm just, I try. I'm trying. Solomon says, verse 23. Oh, verse 25, sorry. So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom in the scheme of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness that is insanity of folly. Here's what he's saying. I have determined to be wise. Here's what I've learned. It's kind of hard. So I buckled down. Listen to these words. Verse 25. So I turned my mind to understand, investigate, and search out wisdom and the scheme of things. And to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I love this verse. Because here's the deal. All of us have these questions that roll around inside of us. Let me give you a couple of examples. I have a friend, and it does not matter what we are doing. We work on any sort of project. If I take the lid off of a bucket of paint, I can promise you this. I can bet you $100 what is going to happen next. If this friend is with me, and we take the lid off of a bucket of paint, and we are standing there, my promise, my word as a Christian, with $100 on the line, here's what my friend is going to do. Put his finger in it. He always, sheetrock mud, paint, it does not make any difference. He will take his finger and he'll put it in there. I don't know why he does it, but that's who he is. It's a question that's rolling around in his head. I wonder if I should touch it. Okay, I think I'll touch it. I've watched him do it I don't know how many times. I have said to the people around me, hey, you want to see something funny? Watch this. Open something up. So here's what's going to happen in a minute. I'm going to open this up and this guy that's on this other side, just right around the corner, he's going to come over. He's going to put his finger inside of this bucket. Watch this happen. That's kind of weird. I know, but it's predictable. And I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. Pull the lid off. Hey, come here. My buddy comes around the corner. Hey, what are you doing? Like, yeah. See what I mean? This is exactly who he is. He will stick his finger right in the middle. I don't know why. It's a question that's in his head. This thing, like, I should touch this. Should I touch? I think I should touch it. And he's got to put his fingers in it. He's got to... And off he goes. I don't understand why he does it. I don't ever have the desire to do that. Other people have this strange desire. It's not enough for them to sit in the stands and watch an event happen. They have to buckle themselves into the car. They have to take that constant left-hand turn. At high speeds, 
all the time reporting inside of and just collecting all this data about the moisture content of the soil. We could figure that out a different way, right? We don't have to do it at 80. But some people have to do it at 80. Why? Because it's a question inside of them. It's a thing that's rolling around in their head. They don't know exactly what they can do about it or, or what they're going to do with the information, but it is important to know where should we drive on this track? How much fuel should we put in the tank so that we can be both light and have enough to finish the race? People have these questions. Some of you have those other kind of questions to where you want to pry inside of the mind of other people who seem to be a little bothered, disturbed, broken, and you want to extract information from them for the betterment of them, the betterment of you, or the betterment of somebody in the future. You just cannot keep your nose out of somebody else's brain. Why? It's true. This is the way we are. We have these questions. I've never thought to myself, I want to go climb a mountain, ever. I've seen them, and I thought, it'd be cool to see the view from up there, but I don't want to go climb it to see it. I don't care. Some people cannot be okay in life unless they can go to the bottom of the ocean. I've never had that thought either. There's these questions that roll around inside of us. I, I get a little hung up on motivation. I want to understand motivation. Why do people do what people do? How are people wired? Why do they think like they think? I want to understand the puzzle pieces. One of my favorite things is when I sit in a room with a couple and I sit and I listen to them talk and then she says this and he says this and she says this and he says this and I go, oh my goodness, this is like a, it's like a puzzle. Only they're pretty sure that they don't fit together, but it's brilliant. It works so perfect, and I love to watch it. I love to see it. It's one of my favorite things. And my wife is just like, you will do that by yourself. I'm not interested, you know? I want to sit and, like, hear more drama and just the brokenness just kind of pour out because I'm like, this is really, really interesting, you know? That's kind of strange. It's a question that's in me. I've never wanted to climb Everest or K2, ever. I've never wanted to take a balloon up to the edge of space and jump out. It's just weird. We have these questions that roll around inside of us all the time. What's interesting about this is that anytime you begin to think about school and teaching, the ideas that how do you take some information that you have and hand it over to somebody else? Let me give you an example. RichardDawkins.net. You know who, are you familiar with who Richard, Richard Dawkins is? Or is he, I think he's passed. Richard Dawkins, atheist. Um, atheist to the nth degree. There was a, on this RichardDawkins.net, uh, his website, a guy by the name of Tom Bradford begins to write about curiosity, the curiosity that exists inside of people. Where does that curiosity come from? It's not like moms and dads, then they have a baby. Why does the baby have blue eyes? Well, because mom does or dad does or wherever it comes from. Why do they have dark hair? Well, because it's mom and dad. Curiosity, where does curiosity itself come from? Yes, we are made in the image of God, but is that a curiosity thing that he has put in us? Or is curiosity just a reaction to something else 
an external stimulus. What's the reason for it? RichardDawkins.net, Tom Bradford write, writes this from, a, from, an, uh, from an evolution uh, perspective, <laughs> which is, this just baffles my mind. I, I would be so unokay with this. He writes, we humans have a deeply curious nature. And more often than not, it is about minor tittle-tattle, the minor tittle-tattle things in our life. Our curiosity has us doing utterly unproductive things like reading news about people we will never meet, learning topics that we will never use, or, or learning topics we will never have a use for, or exploring places we will never come back to. We just love to know the answers to things, even if there's no obvious benefit. From the perspective of evolution, this appears to be something of a mystery. We associate evolution with survival of the fittest traits that support, that support the essentials of day-to-day -day survival and reproduction. So why did we evolve to waste so much time? The article concludes by saying this. Shouldn't evolution have selected a species which was, you know, a bit more focused? If I'm looking for answers to what's going on inside of me. And listen, I understand that we're all a little bit different. We may believe different things. I'm going to tell you what I believe. And I apologize if it sounds harsh. If I'm looking for answers about what's going on inside of me and I go to this place and I get an answer from an evolution perspective, do you know how depressing that is? Any teacher worth their salt knows that with every single student, the way you connect with that student has everything, to do, has everything to do with how that student will learn. There are some students, what they need is an environment that is cohesive to being able to give an answer and be wrong and not feel judged, correct? Sometimes what a student needs is just to know that the teacher loves them and cares about them and is nice and isn't going to yell. Something that is free from fear. That's important. Some students, what they need is the constant raising of the bar, the challenge. This is what I need. Take me to the next place, teacher. But every teacher that is, that is good, that is decent, that understands the real art of teaching, understands this. If you want a student to attach to the information that you have inside of your head that you're trying to convey, the best way to do it is to spark their curiosity. If you spark their curiosity, then they will care about the information that you have. Think back on the teachers that you remember and that you liked, okay? Just think back. The ones, they did something different. There was something else. There was something interesting about the way they did things. Maybe they were quirky. Maybe they were just, they were okay with a lot of just talking and and just getting out of control and they were okay with that and they let you be you. Maybe they were just very sweet with their tone. Teachers who are able to spark that curiosity, they get students so much further down the line. Here was my experience in school. The teacher had all the answers and she's going to hold them ransom. She's gonna hold all the answers ransom until I decide I wanna fill in all the right blanks with all the right information that she has, which 
Let me take it a step further. She wants me to have the answer to questions I'm not even asking. I don't care anything about what she knows. I don't care about the topic. Get me there first, and then we'll see what happens. But the second a teacher moves in and says, I've got a few things to tell you. Well, I better not tell you that. That's kind of, that was kind of scary. I'll keep that to myself. But I would like to tell you about some other things. Who wants to know what that is? Me. Get on with the, the good stuff, the scary stuff, the whatever. Please. I'm interested in that. Oh, no, you don't really want to know about that. I desperately need to know about that. That's the only thing I need to know about today. Oh, but if I told you, this great preacher named Fred Craddock, he's, he's, uh, he's dead now. He used to, uh, he's a great storyteller. And he said that his father used to go to work. He said his father was a drunk. And his father would go to work occasionally, and he would come home. And when he would come home, he would walk in, and he would roll a cigarette by the fireplace. And he would just stare off into the fire, light it. Boy, I hope I never see that again. He said, me and my brothers and sisters would come racing in. We would sit down at the, at the, at the, at the floor around him. What did you, what, 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 what happened? Oh, sorry, I didn't see you kids there. What did you see today? What was it? Oh, it's not fit for children. I don't. I don't really, no, 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 dad, cough it up. Okay, but don't tell your mother. <laughs> okay, just tell. He said, and his dad would sit and just weave these tales together. He said, and it was just the most beautiful thing. Now, if you ever listen to Fred Craddock's preaching, you know that he has been subjected to great storytelling. You know he has. He has got an imagination and the use for words that is unbelievable. Curiosity draws us in. And if I go to evolution or I go to Richard Dawkins and I say, explain to me this bizarre curiosity and all these questions that I have inside of me, explain it to me. And he goes, here's the thing, from an evolutionary perspective, it's a mystery. Well, guess what? That's a terrible answer and it's already a mystery. I knew that. No new information. But we live in this culture that wants to put a stamp on everything. Yep, already know it. Yep, already know it. This is concluded. This is done. Everybody knows this. Move it on down the line. We just want to be so sure of so many things. That's one of the things about our world that I do not like. We just want to be so sure that we know everything. The internet has created more geniuses and experts than anything in the world. But see, what God did was something different. God fostered a relationship with us that did the very same thing that good teachers do. God hooked us with the curiosity. Look at our world. Just take a look at our world. Do you know how fast our globe, our world, our planet is moving in our solar system? Do you, does anybody know? Give me an idea. No? Oh, then you're going to love this. Check this out. 18.5 miles per second. We are moving that fast through the universe. 18.5 miles 
per second, 67,000 miles per hour. Wow, huh? That's not even taking into consideration the spin. Do you know how fast we're spinning? A thousand. A thousand miles per hour. We are spinning in a circle at a thousand miles an hour, flying through the universe at 67,000 miles an hour. You mean to tell me that God isn't like looking at you like you got no questions? You just, you got that? You got that? Just, you're good with that? Just close it up, put it away? Huh, interesting. No, check this out. Your hair is not even moving on your head, and we are doing 67,000 miles an hour. <laughs> you see what I, Listen, it's spinning at 1,000, and you're not coming off of it. Right? How crazy is that? Absolutely insane to me. What, why didn't he explain this to us from the beginning? He should have looked at Adam and Eve, and he should have said, now, by the way, I want you to know, this is kind of a big thing we got going on here. I know to you this all seems small, but you were actually doing 67,000 miles an hour. I need everybody to know that from this point forward. No, he didn't do that. You know what he did? He let us find out. Like, what are we? Like, I'm seeing other things going on around us. Like, we should measure this and see. We're doing 67,000 miles an hour. Is anybody, everybody okay with that? This is insane. And then God goes like this. I thought you'd think that was cool. <laughs> Wow, 67,000, eh. But you're not the only one. There's like a ton of them up there. I'm doing the same thing with them. Like, just stirring up planets. Wow. And hey, check this out. We're the only one that we know of that is life-sustaining. Hey, he came to us. Like, he threw the hook out and was like, I think you're like this. He showed up on your front door. He hooked us with the curiosity. You got me. You had me at 18.5 miles per second. Incredible. God fosters a relationship with us that is one built on him being him, having the answers, and then creating a world that says, what's going on around here exactly? And then when we go to do it, when we go to check it out and to find it, our curiosity becomes the transportation that draws us closer to God, increasing our revelation of who he is. It's insane to me. Insane to me. That's who he is for us. It's what he has made us to be. Then Solomon writes, I thought I understood some things, and here's what I learned. That's surface level. And so I dug in, and I got questions. I got questions going on inside of me. I do too. I got questions. I have some bizarre questions, some that I'm not even comfortable sharing with you because I don't even know that I can put them into words, but just some questions, some things that roll around inside of me. Like, I need to, I need to process this somewhere. And Solomon has these, and then Solomon begins to toss his out. Here's what's crazy. Solomon says, I want to understand wickedness. Well, that seems like a strange place to go. I want to understand the scheme of things. Well, shouldn't you focus on the good? Maybe I should. But I don't think Solomon's question is any different than your question or my question. Why do you do what you do? 
I mean, let's just have a really honest moment for just a second, like we're in a meeting, you know? Let's just have a real meeting moment, okay? If you're familiar with these kind of meetings, then you understand what this is like. Hi, I'm Jared. Hi, Jared. <laughs> I'm an addict, and uh, I got some questions. I got some things going on inside of me. I want to understand better. I don't know why I do what I do, but here's the deal. I'm not the first one to ask this question. The Apostle Paul asked this question too. It sounds a little bit like a Dr. Seuss book. Let me read it to you. You'll enjoy it. It goes just like this. Romans chapter 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Put on your seatbelt. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin living in me that does it. That's my question. Why is Jared like Jared is? Why do I always go back to the same thing? Why does this happen? And Solomon says, I got questions too. I would love to discuss the answers to those things, but unfortunately, as many people as there are in this room, we would have as many different answers. You agree? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? I don't know that our answers are going to be the same. We might be able to, you know, distill them down to a few different things. Maybe early childhood, childhood trauma or... or um, some sort of uh, a mental, mental, uh, mental health issue. Maybe it's some sort of um, just negligence or, or, or neglect I had as a child. Maybe it's just that, you know what? I can't pay attention long enough to make the right decision. But what I'd rather do is I'd like to talk about the process. Solomon's process to go after these answers, that is interesting. And I think for us, is beneficial. Let me walk you through the words. Here's the first one that he uses. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're looking at verse 25. He said, so I turned my mind to, underst to understand. I turned my mind to understand. This first word that he uses, I turned my mind, this is what this is. Some of these are better as word pictures than they are as just a straight definition. This is what Solomon is saying, to circle this deal. You ever seen two dudes in a parking lot getting ready to fight? <laughs> this deal? You know what I mean? Like this. You know? Like you can see that like. What he's saying is that if you want to understand why you do what you do, walk around it, would you? It all starts with observation. Get on the outside and stand there and look at it. Because I'll be honest, how many of us get a little scared at the idea that I have to go check me out for a minute? I don't want to know. I don't want to know where I'm broke. I'd much rather talk about where you're broke, you know? 
It's what I've always said about people who, people who want to, um, it's like when you take your sin and you want to go talk to somebody else about it, which never happens. You never think like, I should go talk to somebody about this. You need to, but you don't ever think I want to. I don't have a problem with Jesus stepping into my life and saying, Jared, we need to change this. My problem is if Jesus chooses to use you to come into my life, then I'm not okay with it. What he's saying is observation. This is revolve. The word is circumference. Walk around it. Look at your problem. Look at the thing that's going on, the question that's in your head, this thing that you always return to. Walk around it. Begin to observe. What's the patterns? What's the context? Who's around when this goes down? What are the conversations like when this happens? What are the feelings attached to it? Solomon says, I did circles around this thing. I took my heart and I wrapped it around these questions because I want to understand. It's interesting, the NIV says, my mind. I turned my mind, right? Is that what it says? Uh, verse 25. So I turned my mind to understand. The word mind is the word heart, the seat of emotions. I wrapped my heart around this whole issue. There's a certain level of devotion, observation. I'm committed to learning more about me. I need to understand this. Why do I do what I do? If you want to know, it all starts with observation. Look at your life. Step back and just look at it. But I just really want my sin behind me, Jared. I do too, sister, but check this out. If you don't deal with it, it don't stay there. I want my sin back there too. But so long as I keep ignoring it, I keep running into it. What I need it to do is go away. So I have to learn this. I have to observe what's the pattern. Next word he uses is to know. Verse 25. Um, so I turned my mind to, in the NIV it says understand. The word is to know. This is an interesting word. It's a very widely used word, common word. Know as in know, like just know, like know something. It's also used in a very euphemistic way, okay? As in Adam knew his wife and she conceived and had a son. Know your problem. Grow familiar with what's going on inside of you. Begin to put some skin to it and see what is the deal here. You need to journal it. You need to ask it. You need to spend some time praying about it. You're not going to find that stuff out any other way. You have to first observe, and then you have to grow familiar with it. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know about you, but that is a painful process. If you have been down that road, been down that road, that painful process of learning that I am garbage, and I just found out, like, this is bad news. I'm not doing so well. It takes a little bit of resilience. It takes a little bit of just strength and a little bit of courage to be able to stand there and look at that and say, what is mine? I'm, I'm, I'm going through a book right now. I'm actually listening to it uh, when I work out. It's called Extreme Ownership by these two U.S. Navy SEALs. And what it comes down to is this. Whatever's going wrong in your life belongs to you. Stop blaming everybody else. And it's this idea, extreme ownership. Yeah, but you don't know my situation. I don't, need to, oh, I don't need to know your situation. Whatever is going on in your life right now, you have some ownership in it. What part belongs to you? If it's just your reaction, then that's you. That's your fault. 
You deal with your reaction to the traumatic circumstances or the argument or the harsh words or the firing or the family situation, whatever it is. There's a part that belongs to you. You are an active player in your life. It belongs to you. And what he is saying here is take a look. Dig in. Take a, a long, hard look in the mirror at who you are. Oh, that sucks. Can we be honest? That's terrible. I don't want to find out any more bad things about me. Here's what I know, though. Inside of the community that I get to be a part of, this, I can deal with it a whole lot easier. I can deal with it a whole lot easier. Inside of the community that I'm a part of, with the people around me who've committed their life to say, I'm going to love you even if you're crap. Okay. Because I'm not quite sure what's going on in the inside. <laughs> it may get worse from here. Okay, but we're committed to loving you and caring about you. That's a part of it. How can I grow familiar with that kind of issue? I kind of got to dig in. I got to be brave. I got to be resilient. Here's the next word that he uses. To investigate. This is a great word here. His word is investigate, but it translates to spy. Spy. Do you see this elevation, this uh, intensity in the words? First, we're going to just observe. I'm going to wander around it. Next, I'm going to familiarize myself with it. Next, I'm going to spy, meaning I'm going to get into some places inside of me that I probably should not get into, and I'm going to look, and I'm going to dig deep into what's going on inside of this situation, these questions. Why do I have these questions? Why do I have these behaviors? Why do I live like I live? Why do I function like I function? Spy. The other, another definition for it is reconnaissance. This is the kind of work that we do on us, reconnaissance. I have to dig into these parts of me and learn more about me. I know this sounds like a very me-centered sermon. Oh, so this is all about you, Jared? It's not about God? Trust me, you don't get to get inside there, inside of your, all your twistedness, unless God is a part of it. You just don't get to. You won't have the guts to get there. And my guess is, is that once you get to the core of everything that's going on and the corruption of the human heart that exists here, Oh, my guess is you're going to find Jesus pretty quick at that point, too. The word is explore. Is what I am doing, the actions, the behavior in my life right now, this is to begin to interrogate, ask the hard questions. The choices I'm making as an individual, are they bettering my family? Yes or no? No. The choices I'm making as an individual or as a Christian, am I drawing closer to the Lord through these things or further from the Lord through these things? Further. Ask yourself the hard questions. You put you in a chair and handle you. Check this out. The brass knuckles on the sign right here, on the banner, this is exactly what this is talking about. I beat my body and make it a slave so that I will not be disqualified. The word that happens in here, the Greek word for I beat my body, we've talked about this before. It is this, 
that there are two versions of you. And you've experienced this. Two versions of you. You wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, like, I'm doing really good. Like, I feel so good this morning. I'm in such a good place. And then every once in a while, there'll be this thought. Something just shows up. And then all of a sudden, you're like, eh, I wasn't thinking about homicide, but for whatever reason, there it is. I wasn't thinking about drugs today, but for whatever reason, there it is. Hmm. There's two versions of me. This one part of me is like, hey, we're doing the right thing today, aren't we? We're doing it. High five. We are doing the right thing today. The other version of me is like, or we could get in some crap today. That would be cool. My responsibility is to do what this Greek word says on the beat my body and make it a slave. And that is this, to throw my elbow into the chops of this other version of me as hard as I can. This investigate, spy, interrogate. This word means I have to dig into the hard parts of me to ask myself the real questions. Is what I am doing, whatever it is, is what I'm doing, is this drawing me closer to Christ or further from Christ? Answer the question. That moves you to the last one. Here's the last word. To search out. So I turned my mind to understand, investigate, and to search out wisdom. Search out. This is this idea that you can only know it by strapping yourself in the car. Ascertain information by hands-on training. That's it. You can only know this by putting your hands in the middle of it. That's it. By diving headlong into the rest of it. This word is the final step in the process of gaining wisdom and understanding about your natural proclivity to sin. And it is by far the most difficult. The word means to aim, to beg, to require, or demand. I don't know about you, but there's only so much stuff you can learn about you from you. At some point, somebody else has to weigh in. This is where, as Americans, we are terrible. Here's what I really want from you. I need you to continue to see me as a very healthy, mentally and emotionally and physically. I need you to continue to see me as a very healthy preacher and individual. And please don't question me about any sort of trouble that I may have in my life. That is the most important thing that exists inside of my world. So if we could keep that relationship, I would really appreciate it. You know, we just keep some things off limits, you know? Because if we keep some things off limits, you won't be let down, I won't be embarrassed. Think about all the things we could get to avoid, right? But along with those things, other than embarrassment, disappointment, you know what else we miss out on? Love. See, here's the thing about Jared. Jared is super likable. He is hard to love. Being likable is pretty dangerous, don't you think? Because being likable keeps you from having to love me. And here's what's bad, is that I desperately need you to love me. I don't really know that I care if you like me. If you love me, I can move forward and grow because you're going to make right decisions about our relationship. If you love me, what you're going to say is, I think you're unhealthy right now and you need to get some help. It doesn't feel like love, really. It feels like judgment. 
But if you just keep sitting in that chair and telling me that you love me and that I need to get help, I really have no other way to translate that. You love me and you want me to get help. We miss out on grace when we do that. Miss out on forgiveness. You know what else we miss out on? And this is one that I just absolutely love. The transference of power to where you get to step into this place to where you get to say, you know what, I really think you need this and then I get to take myself and slide underneath your protection. And we get to do that with one another. See, this is where husbands and wives get in a lot of trouble is there's this idea that when we get in this relationship, somebody is here and somebody is here. And sometimes it's just a thing that happens. It was never vocalized, but this just happens. Well, I always feel like she's more spiritual than I am. Well, was that ever said? Well, I don't know. But this is how we function. And so I don't really try hard because she's kind of the more spiritual one, so I tuck myself here. Well, he's just kind of always been the one who's made all the decisions, and so I just kind of stay out of his way and let him make the decisions. Well, was it always like that, or was something said? I don't know. Might need to start asking some questions. Might need to take a walk around it. Might need to investigate it. This word here, to seek out, it means to beg. This means that I have to go up to your house and say, I need your input on my brokenness. That's terrible that I need to request your assistance in my brokenness. Please tell me what you see from your perspective. Here's the beauty of it is in the moments that I have done that, man, I have had so many people just put my life back together in seconds. I mean, I was ready to throw it all away. Like, I'm done. I'm quitting the church. I'm out of here. And then somebody's like, you know, it seems to me like you just need a little bit of time. You know, just maybe you just need to get away for a minute. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't hate my life. I forgot. No, I'm good. I'm good. I just needed a break. But inside the vacuum of your mind, right? Have you had this? Inside the vacuum of your mind, things begin to just come apart. And so long as it stays inside this deal, you're like, this is terrible. It's all going downhill. It's all just a hell in a handbasket. This is an absolute disaster. And then somebody says, you know what? I see this and this. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Never mind. We're good. We're good. So I need to, I didn't ask my wife if I could share this. Um, I think she would forgive me. <laughs> I don't think she would care if I share this. It's really not that big a deal, but, you know, sometimes it's... You should call her. I don't have my phone. Love. I'm in the middle of a thing, and uh, I need to know if it's okay if I... I'll tell it to you. I don't think it's a big deal. We're talking the other day. I was visiting with some guys in a guys group not long ago, and we were talking about, you know, things that husbands and wives go and do. And they were like, oh, we got this in common, and we got this in common. Me and my wife, we go do this. Me and my wife, we go do this. Me and my wife, we go do this. And I had a little bit of a mini crisis. Because my wife and I, you know how many interests we have in common? None. <laughs> None. Like, here's the extent of it. Racquetball. Like, that's it. Like, as far as, like, that, it's... And so I'm beginning to kind of panic a little bit. Like, I wonder if we got problems that I don't even know about. Like, we... Like, we might be falling apart, and I don't even know that we're falling apart. Like, this could be terrible. And so her and I would go out on a date, and we're talking on the way, and I'm like, so uh, I'm a little, like, weirded out that we don't have anything in common. 
And so I kind of ramble for a minute, and I'm like, you know, because my buddies do this. Like, this guy and his wife, they go do this. This guy and this wife, they go do this. Like, this. But like, we don't do any of that. And I don't have any interest in doing any of those things that my buddies are doing. None whatsoever. Like, co-ed softball, I'm not interested. None whatsoever. Girls sports, boys sports. Call me whatever you want. I don't care. That's, I, I just live that way. No. Just not for it. I mean, there's some things like, I just can't get my head around it, you know? I'm like, babe. We got nothing, like nothing. My wife looks at me and she says this, that's because, Jared, we're soulmates, not playmates. I think, I think that's really brilliant. I might need you to <laughs> give me, that's so good but I might need more data. Like, I don't know. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm, but here was my thought. I'm about to jump off a hundred foot cliff into a two foot pool and I desperately need her to save me. Babe, we've got nothing in common. Can you help me out? I'm like, this is gonna hurt so bad all the way down. And in a second, she looks and she says, babe, it's because we're soulmates, not playmates. And she goes down the list. Jared, we do this. We do this. Think about what we've overcome personally with one another and separately. Think about our history, the things that we brought into our marriage and that we've pushed out of our marriage. Look at our family, Jared. Look at this, look at this, look at this. By the time we got another two miles down the road, there was not enough room in the cab for my head. I am a champion. <laughs> Listen, 10 seconds ago, I thought my marriage was over. And then now I'm like, I should write a book about marriage. I obviously have done a lot. I know a lot. Sometimes when you beg for the information, when you search out those deep questions, there are answers that just redefine your entire life. If you need the answers to those questions, search out. Solomon says, here's the process. Beg for the answers. Solomon, isn't it terrifying? Absolutely, it's terrifying. Absolutely. But growth always is. Growth always is. If you don't know Jesus in this wild journey, if you're not familiar with this wild journey he will take you on, on how he will take your life and turn it upside down and screw you up in ways that you never thought would be so good, then you should get to know him. You should get to know him. I'd love to introduce you to him. Love to talk to you more about that. Let's pray. We will get you out of here. Thanks for being here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything you've done. We thank you for your word. We ask that you'll move in our heart and our life. We ask that uh, you'll give us the courage and the bravery to dive into some of those questions that roll around inside of us about our life, about our marriage, about the way we parent our children, about our future, about our jobs but our relationship with you. We love you. Thank you for everything that you have done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks again for being here.